0: Visit RobertHalf.com today. Freaking First Cut. Golly. Welcome to the First Cut Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is your first look for this week's open championship. That's right. And joining me to break it all down. Sia Najad is here. Sia, not only do we have the odds, we've already got the DFS pricing. This is like uh, Christmas Day for you.
1: Kid in a candy store. It's another major. Uh, Let's get after it. I'm really looking forward to this week. Let's get after it. Rounding out our team
0: for today is Greg Ducharme. And not only is he the third member of our team, but he is the birthday boy. Greg, happy birthday.
2: And we've dated the show already uh, a minute in <laughs> as tradition calls for. But yeah, thank you very much, Rick. I'm 30 years old today. Wow. The big three. How do you feel? Uh, well, um, <laughs> a lot older than I did yesterday. There you go.
0: Perfect. Yeah. That's how it's supposed to work. Um, gentlemen, we have a major championship, the sixth of the season The final one, Sia, of this super season. Here we are. We've had five amazing winners and storylines up to this point, and now we get the Open, in which we did not get last year. So technically, technically, the champion golfer of the year, still Shane Lowry.
1: Yeah, and that he'll be an interesting play this week as well. But, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, Royal St. George's, I guess, Rick, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but we haven't been there since 2011, Um, I'm, I'm very interested to see how this course plays, especially whether or not wind comes into it, because I think obviously if, if wind isn't a huge factor this week, then, you know, it might play a little easier than people expect, but either way, I think it's going to be a great test, uh, especially for some of the American players who aren't as accustomed to the link style course.
0: I'm absolutely amped for Royal St. George's, you know, Greg, it's, it's, it's some people will say it's easier than most of the open courses, but you're really at the mercy of wind, right? You're at the mercy of weather, the idea that sometimes it can change and kind of flip how you thought this course was going to play. There are just a lot of variables at a lot of open championships that the players do not control, which I always think is, is fun and always good to see.
2: Yeah. And, and even though it may be, and it's hard to judge because it's so it's hard to judge the links courses because they're so weather dependent. So Carnoustie, mm-hmm. which is considered one of the hardest courses in the world, without wind is gettable at times. Um, if it gets extremely firm, that's a completely different course than if it's rainy, uh, and and the wind is obviously a huge factor as well, which will be the storyline of the week. Um, I was looking at a ten day forecast, so you're a little bit out there, but it kind of it doesn't look like we're going to get rain past monday tuesday wednesday so um i am kind of expecting a slightly softer golf course than what we've seen in some past opens um but the wind looks to be about uh 17 17 to 20 15 to 20 miles an hour from some some variation of the north all four days is the way it looks right now so we'll see if that changes at all but that tells me one wind's going to be a factor two the the air temperature is going to be a factor looks like it's going to be below 70 um all four days as well so yeah i'm really looking forward to it but i'm not necessarily expecting a a brutally challenging test um but i I still think there's going to be a lot of variance between um good scores and bad scores because there's so many um unique breaks you can get in an open
0: yeah, the margins are small. They're, the the bunkers, these pop bunkers kind of have magnets to them. Your ball gets attracted over there. A good shot or an okay shot can turn into a bad shot pretty quickly. This is going to be the 15th time we've seen Royal St. George's host the Open Championship. Sia, you're absolutely right. The last time was 2011. And, of course, with most major championships, especially in Open, it is just as much of a mental game as it is a physical game, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. And I think you kind of have to factor that in. And as this week progresses, I think I'm definitely going to be kind of considering who I think is sort of up to the test if things kind of go awry. And I know that gets a little narrative-y. Um, Greg, thanks for the shout-out earlier uh, a couple yep. days ago going yep. down narrative street. But <laughs> um, the, the long story short is is I, I'm definitely looking for guys, uh, and that's sort of why I said I'm looking for guys who might be a little bit more accustomed to link-style courses because I think there's a certain expectation that you draw when you have that experience. Whereas if you're a guy who who maybe doesn't have the requisite experience, all of a sudden, you know, things go awry and, and it – you're just It's just not expected, and, and you deal with it a little bit differently. So I, I, uh, I'm i really looking forward to uh, actually doing the DFS show because I think I'm going to stray a little bit from some of the normal guys that I, I usually pick.
0: Before we get into the names that are playing, there are notable WDs here via a combination of uh, positive COVID tests, contact tracing, just kind of the logistics of getting over there or maybe getting yourself ready for the Olympics. Here's the – Hopefully, full list, and we do not add to this, Greg, but uh, Hideki Matsuyama uh, officially out, Bubba Watson out, Matthew Wolf, Kevin Na, Cameron Davis, Siwoo Kim, Sung J M. but despite that, we are still going to get, what, 90 of the top 100 players in the world. I mean, it's going to be an absolute uh, stacked field, even if we are missing these names, and hopefully these are the only names.
2: Hopefully. Um, But quite frankly, Rick, I I think it's doubtful. I I would expect to see a couple more Um, and hopefully that it's not the stars. You are still going to have a great field no matter what. Um, But this is why the protocols are the way that they are, because the once once you have the contact tracing uh, regulations being so strict, where if you come in contact, vaccinated or not, uh, positive test or not, you have to withdraw um, whereas here on the PGA Tour, you get tested every day if you're um, subject to that contact tracing. Um, there, it's a withdrawal. So if you don't have really strict guidelines for your players, if you don't have your players um, kind of in their own little bubble, you run the risk of losing the whole field. I mean, you could it, it could spread so quickly because everybody turns in in contact with everybody and you get a couple guys sharing a house and all of a sudden that whole house is out so you you have to be careful if you're the rna because you're um, under these strict guidelines from the uh, from from the government so that just kind of is what it is but because it's so strict i do expect sadly i expect to see um, a couple more wds
0: Well, we'll certainly be keeping a close eye on it as the week develops, but as of right now, the top of the betting board, the big names absolutely stacked, and it's John Rahmsia who is getting the nod from our friends over at William Hill as the favorite and a pretty significant one at that. The last time we saw him on the PGA Tour, he was winning the U.S. Open. The last time we saw him anywhere in the world was a seventh-place finish at the Scottish Open last week, which is an event that if he just putted, Kind of a little bit better. He probably runs away with it. He was in contention all week long. John Rom seemingly well deserved as the favorite.
1: Yeah, I would say so. I mean, looking at the number though, I, I I'm actually surprised he's as much of a favorite as he is, to be honest with you. Uh, I don't know, maybe you know what William Hill hasn't, but I've seen him at plus six fifty. And that just seems really short. So it's not a number that I'm I'm ever going to consider from a betting standpoint. But I'll tell you what, as we as we look at Rom, I mean, I honestly think that. You know, it goes Rom, Dustin, Rory. I don't know that I wouldn't put Brooks ahead of Dustin and maybe ahead of certainly ahead of Bryson. So I think it's really interesting how that this sort of top tier has has played itself out.
0: Well, Bryson is catching a lot of steam over at William Hill. So John Rahm, seven to one. That's half the odds of the next guy who is Bryson DeChambeau at 14, Rory McElroy at 16 to one, and then Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka at 18. You know, when I look at uh, the, the list of names beyond John Rahm, Greg, you start to, you start to have more questions than answers in some cases, you know, what is the state of Bryson DeChambeau's game and can that translate to an open championship is Rory McIlroy's victory at the Wells Fargo championship. Now just an outlier. Dustin Johnson hasn't been good this calendar year. I mean, there's just, there's, there's a lot of questions for a lot of the big name guys who are going to try uh, to be sipping out of the claret jug come Sunday evening.
2: Yeah, there are a lot of questions, Um, but, but these players are the best in the world for a reason. They're the best in the world because they can, um, they can answer these questions for us with their play. Um, But but the questions that you mentioned, Rick, one with Bryson, his success at past open championships has not been there. That's why I'm surprised to see him at fourteen hundred. Zia was talking about um, how excited he is for the DFS show on Monday. And one thing I find so interesting about an open championship is things that we normally look at. Normal metrics play a much smaller role this week. It becomes one of the more challenging events to handicap. But what does strokes gained off the tee mean in an open championship? I, I don't know. I mean, it's not as clear to us. What is, um, you know, so anyway, what kind of style does a player play with? And if you look at some past results in open championships, I think you see kind of a combination of a few things. There's a group of players that always seem to be top 25 guys. They understand how to play links. They're very good players. Maybe not on that board. Um, and then there's the the random guys that pop up and pop in there that, that don't have any consistency. They maybe they love the golf course or just had a great week. So I'm I'm very much looking forward to it too. But um, to me, Brooks Kepka and Jordan Spieth, along with John Rahm on that board, are the three guys I feel most confident about personally.
0: Yeah, to put a bow on Bryson DeChambeau, three starts at an Open Championship, two missed cuts, and a 51st. Jordan Spieth we haven't seen since the U.S. Open, and Brooks Kepka, I think it's weird. Because Brooks is really only kind of graded on wins, uh, it's easy to forget that three of his last four starts have been top five finishes a runner up at the PGA, a fourth place finish at the US Open, a fifth at the Travelers, always plays well at the Open Championship or any major championship. So yeah, that early in the week I've I've got my antennas uh, certainly up for Brooks Kepka, but then there is a, a kind of a next tier CEO which includes your Justin Thomas's of the world, your Victor Hovland's, your Louis Oosthuizen's, these guys that we know are are incredibly talented and you're getting a number uh, probably longer than we would normally get because of how deep this field is and how strong it is at the top
1: yeah and of those names you mentioned i think louis is probably the guy i like the most for, for a couple of reasons one his major experience well i shouldn't say experience his major success and just the fact that he's obviously going to be a little bit more accustomed to the to the link style course than some of these guys like Victor Hobland, who just frankly doesn't have the experience here. So uh, Louis is definitely a guy I'm focusing on in sort of that second range. I think Cantley is interesting, especially if you look at his number. At um, again, I'm I'm not sure what it is at William Hill. I've seen it around 33 to one, and I think that's a pretty good number for Cantley. I think he can he can make something of this course. So th- those are two guys in that second tier I'm focused on.
0: Patrick Cantley, certainly 33 to one. And outside of that mini slump that he had for four or five weeks, he's been absolutely phenomenal. Greg, I think this is a really weird situation where, you know, we, we missed the year of this, right? We didn't postpone it. It it was canceled. It never happened. We never saw the 2020 open championship and with how accelerated the careers of some of our young guys have been, it's hard to believe, but Colin Morikawa and Victor Hovland, are teeing it up for the first time at the open championship. I I, I mean, it's, it's almost a little jarring uh, considering what Morikawa has four wins in a major Hovland has two and a European tour victory, and they've, they've never played an open championship before. It's going to be, it's going to be fascinating.
2: It's a unique, a unique aspect to it. So how much does experience come into play? I, I, I don't really know. I think there's an avenue where it's valuable. Um, I do believe that it's valuable. I believe a Lee Westwood can really lean on his open championship experience um, to put together a really nice week. But at the same time, is it a prerequisite? Um, excuse my um, use of that word there, but anyway, is it is it required for you to have success there? I don't know. I, I don't really believe that it is. But you got to find a way to get comfortable on the golf course. Um, you got to. The thing I like about Hovland is his attitude, and Morikawa the same. Both of those two players will be able to handle the difficult situations that come. You hit a ball down the middle of the fairway, it hits on the wrong side of a knob and shoots into a bunker. Are you going to get upset about that, or are you going to kind of laugh it off? And we've seen Hovland make. Um, this year in particular, a number of messes, if you will, on holes and answer with great success. I mean, a triple bogey on the very first hole of the Masters. Um, and, and he came back to have a really nice week. The What, what do you make a nine on nine at, congr- um, at, at the concession and nearly won the tournament? So I, I think there's a lot of positives that those guys have where, although they're rookies, I, I don't know if I really look at them as rookies at this point.
0: You also continue to find some of these, you know, up and coming names or guys with plenty of talent. Joaquin Neiman, sixty to one on this board, Sia, and you start to get down to the sixties, the eighties, the one hundreds, and you wonder how deep could you go. In a field like this, at an event like this, I tend to think that an open championship of all places, is it's kind of chaotic. You're at the mercy of a lot of things that players don't control and even good shots can go awry. i I don't mind venturing down into the triple digits of the betting board, but what say you?
1: Yeah, I don't mind either. And by the way, before we even get there, I think there's some nice numbers on guys like Patrick Reed as well in that kind of 40 ish to one range. But yeah, when you get to like 50 to one, I mean, Brandon Grace, for example, or do you get to the 60, 66 to one range with a Harris English, for example? Yeah, I mean, it's Harris English is playing so well lately. He's so under the radar at this particular event. I think 66 to one is a really great number. A guy I never take, but actually looks to be in a much better form and perhaps a little bit healthier. I mean, you're seeing Jason Day numbers at 80 to one. I mean, I think some of these guys with like legitimate open championship experience and legitimate link style experience in that 50 to 80 to one range, I think are very much viable here. We talk about experience,
0: Greg, from an Open Championship perspective, but some of these European guys who might be more apt to the Lynx style of golf, with all, which offers you an opportunity to play the ball on the ground, someone like an Alex Noren, someone like a Robert McIntyre, maybe some of these guys that reside on the European tour, are they more interesting this week than most? Because this should be somewhat of a more comfortable setting for them.
2: Yes, um, to a degree. I mean, the European tour plays some Lynx golf, but not all Lynx golf. And I, I mean, remember that tour is extremely global. They play a, a swing in the Middle East, um, in, in Dubai, and all those kind of places of the world. That's not really Lynx golf. They play uh, a number of events, even in England, that's not necessarily Lynx golf. So while there's more of it, it's not like it's all Lynx golf. Um, and then you also have the Alex Norris who are, are playing a lot of the PGA tour. Um, and most of the big names are playing on the PGA Tour. And, it, you know, it's also interesting, if you look at some of the past winners of this event, is there a is there a common thread here? If you, if I read you these names, Shane Lowry, Francesco Molinari, Jordan Spieth, Henrik Stenson, Zach Johnson, Rory McIlroy, Phil Mickelson, Ernie Els, Darren Clark, Louis Oosthuizen, um, and then you had your Stuart Sinks, Potter Carrington's, and Tigers, and things like that. Uh, my point in that Rick and, and Sia is they're not as it, it's not like we get a Ben Curtis or a Todd Hamilton every year. Those right. are very unique cases. And I don't think they're more unique than any other major championship. I I, I think if you looked at past winners of PGA championships or U S opens, um, maybe not masters. Um, but I, I think you get the, a very similar number of quote unquote random, Kind of winners all those guys were were playing quite well when they won um so it, it's interesting what's that style are, are those guys all links players we look at them as links players now because they've won an open right. but going into it would you have said that francesco molinari was a great links player i mean he was playing on the pga tour and was playing great he won at some parkland courses both um, in the U S and also in England. So I don't know. And in, in Italy, it's very interesting to me, um, but I kind of think this tournament does lead to great champions, really, really solid players still win this tournament, despite all the the fortune that goes into it.
0: I love it. Obviously this week is going to be a big one for us. We've already mentioned the Monday DFS preview, the Megapod on Tuesday round by round recaps golf in the middle of the night. It's going to be a lot of stuff uh, going on and see, uh, we have not even mention the fact that Sam Burns is $6,300 on DraftKings <laughs> and everyone is going to lose their mind. Just prepare yourself for that on Monday, right? That's a conversation we're going to have to get
1: into. Well, I got to be honest. Yeah, that, that's a really interesting price for Sam Burns, but a lot of that 6K range and low 7K range, I think, and just like, I mean, this is, this is other majors as well, of course, but there's a lot of guys, maybe not as mispriced per se as a Sam Burns, but there's a lot of fodder there between like that that 60, let's say the Sam Burns range and like 7,200 for you to really right. stack your Brooks Koepka with, let's say your Louis, and maybe you want to throw, throw a Patrick Reed out there. All of a sudden, you've got about 7,100, 7K left for for three other guys, and there's plenty of talent there.
0: There you go. Little tease for Monday's DFS show. Join us then. But for now, let me thank producer Jacob. He does all the hard work behind the scenes. That right there is Sia Najad. You can find him on Twitter at Sia Najad. And Greg Ducharme, wish him a happy birthday at The Real GFD. You can find me at Rick Rungood. This has been The First Cut, and we'll catch you next time.